All right. Welcome. Three minutes after one o'clock. So good to have you along for the show on what is a uh, tremendous Saturday for sure. Warm, sunny, bright and beautiful out there. Good time to talk some disability law. Best segue ever right there. Uh, James Fireman is here. Tamar Gopian right here as well to reach out to uh, both of them anytime. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. But always the lines are open for the next hour here at the station for you to call in live and uh, ask your questions uh maybe you're dealing with that long-term disability insurer they've asked you to appeal for the 600th time you still refuse to because you're smart maybe you have and you want to stop you can talk about that here today as well maybe you've been outright refused your claim or cut off claim or told you're going to be cut off shortly just bring it on we'd love to talk to you over the course of the next hour 416-872-1010 and we'll get to some emails as i mentioned the email address right off the top help at disabilityrights.ca as well but phone lines are open let's uh let's get it happening guys james tamar uh good to talk to you guys again who is going to go first what do we got today who's going to go first all james. right well okay well i'm i just want to let you both know i'm entirely undistracted by any sporting events that may be happening right now any football <laughs> no. games that are happening i'm not paying any attention sure uh, it was a busy week and there is a a case that i wanted to discuss because it is a topic that has come up several times over the last few weeks and it is something that I expect is of interest to many of our listeners, especially as we head into the holiday season. And that is travel. What you're allowed to do while you're on LTD, what you're mm-hmm. not allowed to do. So generally speaking, most standard long-term disability policies have a provision that will in some ways limit how far or how long you can travel while you are on claim. Often we see Uh, clauses that will say that you can go anywhere for up to 14 days, but beyond that, you have to get permission if you're going to leave the country from the insurer. There are variations on that, of course. Some of them have a complete restriction, no matter how long you go for, even if it's just for a day or two, and some of them have none at all. One particular case I was dealing with quite recently involved a lady who did not have any travel restrictions at all in the policy. There was nothing in the policy that required her to actually even be in Canada, um, let alone stay for any period of time or avoid travel. And so she is someone who is suffering from very significant chronic pain, debilitating pain as a result of several different underlying conditions. And this wasn't really disputed. In fact, the insurance company approved the claim and was paying her and had been for several months even though she had a sedentary job. They were in fact acknowledging that the pain was so significant that she could not be productive at work. And so she is from South America and wanted to travel home because she has no family here. And so she wanted to be with her family for a few months during the winter, warmer weather, be able to get taken care of by her family, have them uh, make sure that she didn't have to do any cleaning or grocery shopping or cooking and be able to help drive her to treatment appointments, which she would be able to afford because they're much less expensive there than they are here. Mm-hmm. And so even though she didn't require approval from her insurer, she let them know. And before doing so, first went to her doctors and asked whether it would be appropriate for her to go. And they said, yes. In fact, they said it would be therapeutic. It would be right. good for her to go. And so with that, she went to her uh, claims handler, disability analyst, and requested permission to go on this trip, even though she didn't need to. 
And so initially there wasn't really any kind of a response, but then shortly after the claims handler said, well, there's nothing that restricts you from traveling, except we're now going to uh, submit you to a work rehabilitation program. So you can't go because you have to do that program. Mm -hmm. And Hmm. this is all new. And so she says, okay, well, what is the work rehab program? She said, well, we can't tell you what that is unless you commit to to doing the work rehab program. And if you, yes, (laughs) if you don't commit to the work rehab program, then we're cutting off your benefits. And so she said, well, no, my doctor said I should be going on this and that I'm nowhere near being ready for work. Mm -hmm. The idea of a work rehab program was ridiculous. And so she went home, uh, so she flew. And then in doing so, the insurer says, okay, well, you're cut off benefits. And the rationale wasn't just that she hadn't submitted to the treatment program. In fact, that wasn't what they actually said in the denial letter. In the denial letter, they actually said that because she was able to fly, it was a long flight, but because she was able to fly, therefore she had no disability that prevented her from being able to work, as though her disability was related to her ability to white knuckle it through a long flight. Like that's what's preventing her from being able to work, as opposed to being productive while she's trying to you know, manage all, all sorts of chronic pain. Um, so, you know, obviously this was something that we challenged and I'll say quite successfully because the reality is when it is at the claims level, we see insurance companies take these kinds of positions that are not only unsupported by the policy or by the medicine, but that are on their face ridiculous. They are unjustifiable. We see that happen at the claims level because at the claims level and even on appeal, there isn't really any mechanism to force the insurer to be reasonable. If they're not reasonable, if they don't abide by the policy, you can appeal, but what does the insurer care about that? There's no consequence to them if they don't act reasonably. And it isn't until there is a lawsuit brought, there's a legal claim and they know that if they don't act reasonably, now if, they, now if they're not reasonable, they're going to be in front of a judge down the road. When that is something that is a potential consequence, all of a sudden they act very reasonably. And that's indeed what happened in this case. We managed to get the claim to mediation in well under a year from the time that she was denied and got a very, very significant settlement as a result, in large part because of the potential exposure, because of the bad faith that the insurer had shown in denying the claim and pretending that there was this return to work program and you know suggesting that her ability to fly somehow meant that she could be productive at work. All of it was ridiculous. And as soon as we brought the claim, they acknowledged that by paying her an awful lot of money. Anyway, that was my week that was. I bring it up because if you are someone who is on disability, you're getting disability benefits and you want to travel, first and foremost, you want to understand what your policy says. Because as I mentioned at the top, there can be variance from policy to policy. So you want to start from a position of knowledge. What are you allowed to do? If you don't have a copy of the policy, ask for it, preferably ask for it from your employer so that you're not raising the the claims handler's suspicions about why you're asking, particularly if you're being specific about the reason. Uh, And then you want to make sure that you've spoken with your doctors in advance and that they agree that you traveling is reasonable and preferably therapeutic if that is indeed the case. So those are my suggestions. And as long as you are 
within what the policy allows and you have the support of your doctors, you should feel free to travel. Vaughn, what do you got going on? Well, so my brain's a little bit on the holidays as well. Maybe it's because nice. I've been torturing myself and getting outside lights on and all sorts of trimming of things. Um, but I, I thought, look, it's a good time to think about disability benefits because I think there's a bit of a lull in terms of feeling like, well, if my benefits are continuing, there can't be a reason for the disability insurer to cut me off now. I mean, the holidays are around the corner. What disability insurer would actually do that? Folks, they do that. They do that. And this is why we work right through the holidays. We work on weekends. We, You can call us literally at any time. And the reason for this is because adjusters don't care. And exactly to what James said, there is no checks and balances at the front line, so to speak, at the insurer as to, look, you know, maybe we want to release this monthly benefit and maybe we revisit this in January. They don't care. Absolutely do not, do not care. And I think that by virtue of that, I've seen a bit of a flurry of activity this week. I don't know if James is feeling the same way, but people I've spoken with months ago um, who are coming back around and and they're saying to me, yep, their benefits just got cut off somewhat suddenly. And I think that there's some intention with the insurers and the adjusters doing that because normally what they'll do is they'll cut you off and then they'll give you this 30-day window in which to appeal. And guess what? We're 30 days literally away from the end of the year. And I think that there's a bit of that activity happening now in order to allow the adjusters to, to do what they need to do, check off those boxes, perhaps meet some quotas in terms of closing out claims. Um, and then they're good to go. And they're going to take a nice long holiday. Maybe they will go to South America, James, much like your client, take a time <laughs> off. Look, I'm being a little bit cheeky here, but I think that the reality is I want people to know that we're here to support them. And I don't want anyone having any misguided notions that their disability benefits may continue through the holidays or that they're in some protected zone by virtue of these holidays. So look, I think that there are lots of resources to consider if you're concerned about, you know, what may happen with your disability claim, if perhaps there is, you know, out of the blue rehab or out of the blue updates being sought when the insurer had approved your benefits so far and you hadn't heard from your adjuster in three or four months. Uh, if you don't want to talk to us, that's totally cool as well. Lots of available resources on our websites. If you're curious about how to deal with a difficult adjuster, you know, what your rights might be in terms of a change of definition, all the things that we cover in and out, always good to review on our shows and also lots of places to find out further info. Back to you, John and James. You bet. And uh, with that, guys, let's uh, maybe take a moment of pause and slide into our first break. I'll give you some time now to uh, get this phone number down. You want to call into the show. We'd love to have you. On the show with any questions and comments you have, how do you do it? 416-872-1010. You can text 71010 as well. We can read those out. And uh, any other time for email, help at disabilityrights.ca, which is we're going to go to right after the short break. Lillian, you're first up. Thank you so much for your contribution. And we will continue with more of the Disability Law Show right here on the iHeart. And we are back. It is 1.20, so it's early. we got lots of time for you to call into the show if something's uh, bothering you. If you just want to ask a question dealing with a disability insurer, uh, insurance company, rather, give us a call. You've been asked to appeal. Maybe you got the boot. Maybe you didn't get uh, approved for your claim in the first place. It could be for you, a friend, family member. doesn't matter. Here to uh, answer your questions, James Fireman, Tamara Gopian from Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country, and helping uh, everybody outside of Quebec across the country with their matters. You can reach out anytime, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. There's also another place you can go, which we will uh, get to today on the show. I'll read some of the questions 
questions from mydisabilityquestions.com. That one's kind of a beauty because it's uh, anonymous, of course. It's free and it's also searchable. So a question very similar to yours may have been thrown at us at an earlier date and answered. If not, leave your question there and we'll get to it. But before we get to our emails, guys, uh, I know right. tomorrow you had a, a matter you want to discuss. What's going on, pal? Yeah. And look, it's an oldie but a goodie. And <clears> what it is, is that people are appealing and they're getting frustrated and they're then calling back saying, tomorrow I'm frustrated. Can you help me? <laughs> okay. So I wanted to just start off our show talking a little bit about two particular claimants who've reached out to me in literally the past week, uh, both of whom I had spoken with um, some months ago, one many months ago, one more recently, uh, both uh, women, both with undiagnosed uh, symptoms with a constellation of like physical and mental health conditions, uh, symptoms that are sufficiently disabling, with the disability insurer resisting the claim uh, for different reasons in the two circumstances. But what's similar to me is that they're, uh, both women are in their late 50s, and because of the lack of diagnosis, the insurer seems to be resisting the disability claim. And I want to disabuse this notion because this does not align with what our courts have said. So this is why, John, I, I feel like I talk about this week in and week out, and I cannot say it enough. If your doctor is supporting that you cannot work as a result of health conditions, regardless of a diagnosis, that is a compensable disability claim. Your LTD benefits should be paid in circumstances like this. And if there is some outstanding diagnosis or something that is waiting to happen, that's not a good enough reason for the insurance company to say no to your disability claim. In fact, what they should be doing is assessing your function, making sure that those symptoms are actually limiting you functionally. Frankly, they don't even really need to do that great an inquiry. They just need the, the medical support. And then they look at their test of total disability, which says, can you work? And if you can't because of your health, then we pay you the benefit. Right. And so I think that what's frustrating in both of those scenarios for both women is that they both have had multiple medical reports submitted to the insurance company, substantiating what is going on from a health perspective. Not one, not two, they have the initial application, then they did a more comprehensive medical report, and the insurer is still resisting it. And I think that the profile is what really sort of resonated with me. In other words, one of the women have actually gone through I think two or three appeals after I said to her, please don't appeal, let's start a legal claim. Um, and I think that the temptation is there to say, look, I don't want to hire a lawyer. I want to go down that path. I can do this. I'll take on the insurance company. No problem. No problem. And guess what? Lo and behold, um, you know, it, they're not getting anywhere. And I think it, it harkens back to even something James said at the top of our show about the insurer just not getting reasonable until that legal claim is there. And frankly, not even efficient until that legal claim is there because there are no checks and balances. There are no deadlines. There's no requirement for the adjuster to get back to you in a day or two or three. There's nothing to say that if you submit this further medical that they actually are going to get a proper review done by someone other than the adjuster who said no to you. And frankly, if you're not even pursuing it that much further, all you're doing is losing time. Time where they're not paying your benefit, where you're getting more and more frustrated. And it's time that I can use to help. And I think that with one 
particular of the two I'm thinking of, um, you know, she was like, tomorrow I've started back to work. I've been pressured to return back to work. My doctor is saying, absolutely, I should not, but I'm desperate because I have not had any income for months and I can't keep dealing with this. So what do I do here? And so this is the concern that I have is that put it, people are putting themselves in harm's way when they're getting frustrated and dealing with the insurer time and again, getting that door slammed in their faces saying no for an otherwise valid disability claim, and then putting themselves back into a work setting that is most likely going to exacerbate, worsen, um, make the health conditions uh, to a point where maybe there is no outside date, there is no recovery to be had after a certain point. And so I cannot encourage individuals enough to at least have a conversation with us. If in that conversation, our advice is, look, please let us help. Um, I absolutely respect people's decision not to want to go down that path, but I can tell you that is a very, very good success rate when we do. We have excellent results from our clients. I mean, look us up on Google, try any of the other different ways to vet us. You know, there's our TV shows and other things, but even just having a conversation with us may at least allow us to explore some different options with you. Um, and maybe the appeal is not necessarily the way to go because I'm generally finding that people are just getting frustrated and like this one individual putting themselves back into a work setting when they shouldn't, when their doctors are saying don't. James, what do you think about that? Well, so I want to focus on one particular part of what Tamar was talking about, and that is this issue about a lack of a diagnosis. And that is something that we talked about, and Tamar is, of course, 100% correct. This is something that comes from the Supreme Court of Canada. Having an entitlement to disability benefits doesn't require a, any particular diagnosis or even a diagnosis at all. You can establish a medical disability without having a specific diagnosis. If, Medical science hasn't advanced to the point where it can understand exactly what it is that is medically wrong with you, but we still know that there's something that is medically wrong and limiting you from work. You're entitled to benefits, and it's as simple as that. But that certainly cuts both ways. I don't want people to think that I'm interpreting this only to be advantageous to our potential clients, nor is that how it's actually done in practice. And what I mean by that, in the last couple of weeks, I've actually had two different potential clients contact me, one who had MS and another who had cancer, both of whom I've had to tell, even though you have these diagnoses, you probably are not disabled under the policy because diagnoses are not a binary thing. It is not as though as soon as you have a diagnosis, in most cases, that all of a sudden your functionality changes. Diagnoses for most, most types of illnesses lie somewhere on a spectrum. And where you lie on that spectrum is going to dictate the extent of your functional limitations. And that's where the focus is. You can have a diagnosis of cancer where it's caught on you know, some random test that you weren't even thinking about and they catch it early, but you're having no symptoms at all. And if you haven't even started your treatment, there would be no reason to expect you to be disabled from work. Now, leaving the possibility for a mental health issue arising out of that very quickly that is probably not something where you would be entitled to disability benefits. Likewise with MS or most other illnesses, when you're diagnosed, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're automatically disabled under the policy. You still have to show that you are functionally limited because of a medical condition. And that is true, whether there's a diagnosis or not. 
And with that, let's move on to that first email, guys. Lillian writes in and says, hey, guys, I've been receiving short-term disability for an ongoing mental health issue. My doctors believe I'm still not ready to return to work and my mental health would regress if I did. If I apply for LTD, it's an approval automatic. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to start into this, uh, John and, and Lillian. Here's, here's what I'm going to say. The short answer is no, it's not automatic. But I'm going to give you a little bit of context as to why. There are times where where the group disability policies, and this is the ones we talk about most often, uh, the ones that are associated with your employer. So you're part of a plan, your employer may pay for the premium, you may pay for the premium, but you and your colleagues are part of this larger disability group plan. And that plan may include short-term, it may include long-term. It could be the same insurer, it could be different insurers. And because of that scenario and the variability, it changes from employer to employer, you can't assume that just because you've received short-term that you're inevitably inevitably going to transition to long-term. You actually may need to make a separate application. So look, let's pick this up after our break, John, mm-hmm. um, and we can get into a little bit of some of the technicalities around short-term versus long-term. We will stand by Lillian for the remainder of your answer. And if you'd like to contribute as well, you can uh, call us, get on air, live chat, uh, be that fourth voice, right? 416-872-1010 or emails, help at disability rights. More coming up here in the iHeart Radio Talk Network. So good to have you uh, have you with us here to reach out for the remainder of the show. Same as the beginning of the show, 416-872-1010. That's the phone number. And you'll have the option of texting 71010. If you don't want to do that, send an email along. We might... Read it out uh, today or on a future show for sure. Tamar, pick up where we left off with Lillian because yeah. I know you had a little more you wanted to go over. I yeah. did. I did. So look, the, the top of mind issue really is, you know, should Lillian qualify for short-term and long-term disability if she's been approved for short-term? And, and that is yes, in the sense that it's the same test, John. I mean, it's the same test of to- total disability typically in most policies that you see in the short-term as you would in that first phase of long-term disability benefits. In other words, the total disability of your own occupation, the job that you were doing at the time that you became unwell and stopped working. And so in theory, that transition should be seamless. But because sometimes there are technical impediments, you may need to apply specifically for long-term disability. And so what I don't want to see happen for Lillian or others who might be on short-term and just assuming that they're going to transition is to make that assumption to their detriment. So you want to inquire, usually with your employer, to see who is insuring long-term. Is it the same insurer? Is it a different you know, administrator, because sometimes there's a third party company that administers disability claims for an employer. So you want to know, like, where do I get the forms? Who do I send them to? And these are, again, all questions that you can ask your employer through HR. Sometimes you can access this information off of a like an intranet type website, or perhaps an employee booklet. Either way, you want to know, because I have seen sometimes, where the insurer is actually the administrator of the short-term claim, but the payor of the long-term claim. In other words, what they'll do is they'll look at your short-term claim, they will provide you know, an approval or a denial, and based on that approval, your employer actually pays your short-term disability benefits. But when it comes time to your long-term claim, well, now the money's coming from your insurer. 
And that insurer, I can tell you, is going to try and be a gatekeeper. They're going to want to not pay your long-term disability benefits. And so while you should theoretically transition from short-term to long-term, perhaps you've made that application, perhaps you don't need to, and the insurer said, don't worry, we'll look at your long-term claim. You should arm yourself with some knowledge that while you should transition, you may get some resistance. And if it's the same health issues, you've got the same support, there should not be resistance. And so if you're in that situation, please don't hesitate to give us a call. We'll look through it in greater detail. Make sure you've dotted your I's and crossed your T's and talk to you about some options about moving forward. James, anything to add to the Lillian's email? The only thing I really want to add, and I think you've laid it out very well, is if you are in a situation that you have the same insurer either paying or at least administering, therefore making the decision on short-term disability. And they're also the long-term disability insurer, thus making the decision for long-term disability. You have to be aware when you're nearing the end of the short-term disability period that there is an incentive for the disability insurer slash administrator to find a justification to deny your claim before you reach the end of short-term disability benefits. And the reason is this. There is case law out there that says an insurance company has to justify changing your status from disabled to not disabled if the test hasn't changed. And as Tamar was just saying, the test for short-term disability benefits is in almost all cases identical to the test for long-term disability, at least during the first two years. So if it's the same insurance company that's making this decision and the test is the same from short-term to long-term, If they want to cut you off, if they want to deny your long-term disability claim, then they can't really do that if they've already approved you throughout the entire period of short-term disability benefits. If they've done that, then it puts them in the position of having to justify why one day you qualify under the test and the next day all of a sudden you don't. That Hmm. would be pretty convenient absent some very strange circumstance where there was a sudden improvement on that particular day, which is pretty unlikely, I think. So be aware of that. If you are on short-term and it is the same company making the decision for short and long-term benefits, be aware that just before you transition to long-term, the insurer may well be trying to be trying to line up uh, their, their, uh, their documents and what have you to justify terminating your benefits just before you transition. Guys, another uh, avenue for you to reach out to us here on the show anytime or, or beyond the hour of the show. That would be mydisabilityquestions.com, free and anonymous. Check it out uh, from that, guys. What does the change of definition mean? Will I automatically be cut off or does my long-term disability company have to help me find a career? Do they possibly help me with school? Thank you. Okay, so let's get – this is sort of a – basic concept that's important to understand when we're dealing with long-term disability claims. So when you are approved for long-term disability, and usually that is after a waiting period of maybe three, six months, something like that, when you get that approval and your benefits start, there is a date that is typically two years after your benefits start, where the definition that is used to determine whether or not you're entitled to benefits is going to change. So during those first two years, and in fact, during the waiting period before, the definition that determines if you're entitled to benefits is whether you have a disability that is preventing you from doing your own occupation. After two years, that definition changes. 
to whether you have a disability that's preventing you from doing any occupation that you're qualified for by training, education, or experience. Mm -hmm. This is a more difficult test. It is, by definition, a more difficult test. But I will tell you that insurers tend to overstate the extent to which that test is more difficult to pass. And the reality is, in most situations, there are some exceptions, but in most situations, if you qualify in the first two years, there usually isn't a reason why you wouldn't qualify beyond. And the reason is because although it sounds like any occupation is a very difficult test to pass, the reality is in practice, they have to find an occupation, the insurer has to find an occupation that would pay you commensurate income, which the courts have determined, absent anything specific in the policy saying otherwise, is usually around 60% of what you had been making before. So let's say you're making $100,000 a year and you're approved for disability benefits for two years. To qualify after two years, you have to have a disability that's preventing you from earning at least $60,000 in some occupation other than your own. And so that's typically not gonna be a test that's very easy to pass, even if you have some residual capacity to work, even if you are able to do some things on a part-time basis, you know, that 60% of your income is still significant and so for most people, it's something they're going to be entitled to continue receiving. And I say this because it's important. A lot of people contact us and they'll tell us that, oh, well, my benefits cut off because I only have a policy that lasts for two years. And right. anytime I hear that, and I'm sure tomorrow is the same way, whenever we hear that, invariably, it's a situation where a claims handler has suggested or, or used words that uh, would lead the person to believe that it's only a policy for two years, but really it's just that change of definition that's coming into play. And so there is an argument about it and possibly a really strong one. Now, the other part of this question is, uh, will they help you find a career or help with school? There are some policies that will have provisions in there that actually require the insurer to provide at least some measure of assistance in terms of helping you find some other occupation or perhaps retraining. More often than not, it's not in there. But even when it isn't, there are situations where I've seen insurers get out in front of the change of definition and aggressively try to find other alternatives. And they do this for their own benefit. They do this because if they've provided you with training or at least the opportunity to retrain or with a path to a new occupation by, uh, by helping you find another career, then they have a stronger argument that after that two year period, you're no longer entitled to benefits because there is some other occupation. So that's really the answer there. Um, it's not necessarily gonna be the case, but it can. With that, guys, let's slide into a break. Tomorrow, I want to get you back on here for our next email from Manny. Manny's the guy. But first, we'll take a break. you still got some minutes to chime in here on the show. 416-872-1010. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. If you want to drop us a text, which I don't think we don't, haven't got one yet, that would be 71010. As well, this is the Disability Law Show on a lovely Saturday afternoon on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. All right, we are back. It is 1.50 Saturday. Before you get out and enjoy the rest of your weekend, listen for the next few minutes to the show, which means you still have got a couple minutes to uh, to contact us either live here on air, 416-872-1010 or text 71010 as well. Uh, another email, guys, help at disabilityrights.ca. Manny. 
coming up says hello i've been off on disability for approximately one and a half years i plan to retire when i'm fit to return to work my disability case manager from uh, the insurance company has asked me whether i plan to return to work or retire should i share my plans with her yeah manny ah i don't know (laughs) here's what i'll say if it's not going to impact the disability plan or it has no correlation to what the policy says i don't know if the adjuster is entitled to know that information quite frankly um you know some disability policies will say if you retire you may no longer be eligible for disability benefits or if you accept a pension sometimes that pension is a credit or a deduction against the ltd benefit and sometimes it's the pension figure is so high that it may wipe out the LTD benefit entirely. And so I think that some adjusters look at it strategically when they ask these open-ended questions to claimants about their plans about retirement, because they know what the claimant may not know about what the policy says. So look, if I'm sitting in Manny's shoes, I want to see what the policy says. If he's not sure what it says, don't hesitate. Send it to me. Send it to James. We'll look at it. Five minutes will give you an answer about whether or not you know, a retirement or a decision to retire or a pension or what have you will have any impact. But in terms of a positive obligation to advise the adjuster of any sort of plans in that regard, I don't think really there is an obligation for a claimant to let the adjuster know. Um, and frankly, I mean, if it doesn't have an impact in the disability policy, then I don't think they need to know at all, right? So, it, you know, I think that where I get a little bit weary is, I never want to advise people not to be open and honest with their adjusters though, right? And so, you know, if it's specific to the retirement question, you've got my answer there, Manny. But if it's sort of broadly, more generally, my policy is always to tell people, look, you've got nothing to hide. You can be open and honest with your adjuster. Um, You know, are they going to potentially take a cynical approach or sort of cherry pick and do the things that we know adjusters do. Yeah, there's always that possibility. But if they make a poor decision and rely on that cherry picking or take some, you know, nonsensical approach on your disability claim, you do have rights. And it's not going to hold up, you know, the scrutiny of a court. And we know that and the adjusters know that. And frankly, the lawyers that we deal with at the insurance companies know that as well. So, you know, as long as you're not intentionally hiding information, I really have no concerns with it. Uh, but, you know, there you go, full circle on uh, the retirement piece. James, anything well, to add to that one? Yeah. So I, here's what I would say. If you had no plans to retire, I would absolutely say that because why not? It's not right. going to hurt you. Right. If you did have plans to retire, though, particularly if this is something that you've shared with any um, doctors or anything of the like, you can't lie about it. Um, you know, I, I think it's irrelevant whether you had plans to retire or not. Who cares what would happen? You know, if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bicycle. It doesn't matter what would happen. It matters what actually did. And there's no policy that says if you were going to retire, you know, if you had plans to retire, then you're not entitled to benefits. It's obviously not going to be the case. So they're not entitled to that information. And if you were planning to do it, I would simply say, I, I don't understand why that's something that you're asking me. Can you explain that? And they'll tell you whatever. And you say, okay, well, can you show me in the policy where my plan whether or not to retire matters as opposed to whether I actually have. And I would kind of just keep pushing back on them at that, at that point. I mean, ultimately, I don't think you want it to be something that's going to be preventing you from getting your benefits. But if you tell them that you have plans to retire, that will immediately raise a red flag. And they are going to find a way to try and cut you off as quickly as they can. 
because they're going to interpret everything you do through the lens of this is someone who's already going to retire. They're just looking for a payout to extend beyond when they were going to retire anyway. And it's not going to come from us where in most cases, that's certainly not going to be the case. It can well be the situation that, you know, you have plans to retire a year or two from now and unexpectedly you've got a disability, some illness that, you know, you hadn't known about before and all of a sudden you're dealing with something. Well, you're entitled to benefits. Even if your plan was to retire two years from now, you're entitled to benefits for as long as you remain disabled from work up to 65, regardless of what your intention had been before. I think the insurers like to question the motivation as to why someone is off. Okay. And we see it come at us in very different ways, us, the claimants, but that motive of being off on disability in my mind shouldn't necessarily be questioned, but that's the cynicism I'm talking about. And I can tell you without a doubt that every client that I've worked with does not choose to be on disability. If they could be healthy and working, they would absolutely be healthy and working. But regardless, because adjusters are the animal that they are, the beast that they are, so to speak, that motivation of being off gets questioned and it's part of the mix, which is why James is saying, if you're going to tell someone that you had potentially a plan to retire, they're going to question, why are you off? Is it truly because of your health issues or was it another reason why you were trying to be off for a little while and then slide into your retirement? So there you go. Let's get to one more, guys. Again, back to mydisabilityquestions.com. The remaining minutes here says, can my long-term disability uh, insurance force me to take a medication? They have threatened to cut me off if I do not. No, this is a big bugaboo of mine here. So your insurer is entitled to look at your treatment and they're entitled to question whether it's reasonable. And they can even say that you should do this or you should do that. And they can say that if you don't, we're going to cut off your benefits, but they can't force you to take anything at all. They're not going to come to your house with a gun to your head and say you have to take this um, or else. The most they can do is cut off your benefits. Now, that may not seem like a good option to many people, and indeed it isn't the preferable situation to be in, but you have to manage your health before you're managing your LTD benefits. That is far more important. And you take your cues for your health from your doctor, not from your disability insurer. So whether or not your disability insurer is telling you to take a medication, you go to your doctor and you find out whether that's something that's reasonable or your specialist, whoever is providing you the primary care for the particular illness that you're dealing with, that's the person who you should be listening to. Now, it may be that the insurer says you need to take this medication or we're cutting you off and you take that to your doctor and your doctor says, actually, that's probably not a bad idea. You should consider this. Uh, it may well help you. Well, if that's the case, then by all means, take it. But unless your doctor approves, unless your doctor says that it's going to be a benefit to you, you should not be taking that. You should not be in any way risking your health for the benefit of an insurer. Remember, insurance companies have an inherent, uh, an inherent bias towards getting you back to work as quickly as possible. They will gladly suggest and indeed coerce you into taking a short-term solution with long-term detrimental effects if it means that they can force you back to work and get off, get you off a plane. So you have to protect against that because they sure aren't going to do that. So if they're telling you that you need to take a medication, take it to your doctor first. If your doctor says no, then you don't take it. And if you get cut off, you call us and we will deal with it. Because if they do that, they have just exposed themselves to a very large claim, not just for your benefits, but for punitive damages as well. 
Any last comments, guys? I think we're uh, we're done for another day. Well done. And you want to reach out now if you didn't get your uh, email read on the show, you can always reach out afterwards to James and Tamar and the respective teams. Always good to uh, good to talk to you. one 821 5900 for that private conversation. Email we always go to, help at disabilityrights.ca and the other place we always pull questions from live on air, mydisabilityquestions.com. And we will catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.